I think theology's for the clergy. I just believe in Jesus. Certain hermeneutics of eschatology demand an exegetical approach. I think you shouldn't question what you were taught in church. Isn't that blasphemy or something? Welcome back to the broadcast, folks. This is Theology Unplugged. Michael Patton here, joined by Sam Storms, Dr. Sam Storms, and Tim Kimberly, my um, the executive director here at uh, Credo House Ministries. Guys, Hello. how you doing? Good. Doing well. Good. Uh, Sam, you doing your daily Bible reading or preparing for this session? The one and the same. All right. <laughs> Tim, how are things going here at Credo House? Uh, they're doing well. Actually, right now we're in the middle of a fundraising campaign uh, at the time of this. And so if you're on our website or on our blog or uh, on our email list, uh, which you can get on through credos.org, uh, we'd love for you to partner with us, get a free T-shirt, and uh, and really be a part of what we're doing. We're really excited. If you uh, didn't see, it's a little, it was a couple months ago, if you didn't see the March 2012, uh, uh, not episode, what is the the magazine of uh, Christianity Today, March 2012. 2012 of Christianity Today, the last page, not the back cover, but the last page in the magazine, uh, talks about the Credo House. Michael's has a picture there. I think the title is He Does Know Beans. And uh, if you want to learn about what we're doing or stay in touch with all of the things that we're doing, uh, we just feel like the Lord is, has allowed us to be a part of what we feel like is just a special movement uh, back towards really helping to deepen the church for the sake of of reaching people and so uh, so we'd love for you to partner with us we've got huge plans of where we feel like we might be going and uh, we'd love for you to be a part of that and help make it possible it was a great article by the way I was very impressed and I just don't know why Tim's picture wasn't in there as well well I, you know whenever you I was in the background him, I was looking somber <laughs> whatever whatever yeah, I was gonna ask Tim um, uh, whether or not I really do know beans, uh, and I, I think he would say that that article was quite inaccurate at that point, right? No, I thought the the only inaccuracy in that entire article is that you're no longer a fan of playing poker. That's true. Yeah, That's true. basically, but I did start it back up uh, like last weekend. Okay, but you you went from your poker phase into a, a zom- zombie, zombie phase, phase. Yeah, and now you're moving out of the zombie phase more into the poker phase again? No, and I still am in the zombie phase, and I think I'll be in the zombie phase until Kingdom Come. Okay, I mean, until the zombie apocalypse. Yeah, I, just, yeah, I can't get over <laughs> zombies. They're awesome. But uh, but to your credit, though, you just in case if people are getting worried, you don't play with real money, and you've actually made some great relationships through this poker club that you've been a part of online through your through an app for quite some time, right? Well, I don't know. It's it's a... <laughs> Michael it's told not me, that big of a deal. I just have a little <laughs> little app on my phone. And I play it all the time. So. Yeah, but uh, yeah. So that was the only inaccuracy is that you said basically stop playing the day that that was uh, that that was that they interviewed you. Yeah, yeah. Everybody quit playing. <laughs> um, now today we're going to be continuing our our um, our series that we're going through. I'm not quite sure how long this is going to go through. We probably could go through it eternally. Um, on difficult passages in the Bible, difficult passages that bring out difficult doctrines. Sometimes it's just difficult doctrines that uh, spring from these difficult passages. But today we're going to be talking about a difficult passage that uh, I think is difficult if you're an evangelical Protestant, you know, that uh, believes in uh, the doctrine of sola fide or salvation or justification by faith alone. Uh, meaning that uh, we do not have works that contribute in any sense to our justification. 
Uh, we don't bring anything, as the old hymn goes, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. But this passage that we're going to look at today causes a lot of trouble, I think, both in what it says, but also, I think, guys, in the clarity of how it seems to say it. It just seems to be really clear, and we talk about proof texts often. What do we do with uh, those of us who believe in salvation by faith alone, but yet we got this passage in Acts chapter 2, verse 2038, that says, I'm trying to get to it here. What does it say, guys? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So really the question is, is that, is baptism an integral part of salvation? So if you say, yes, I believe in Jesus, and then they say, uh, and then you say, have you been baptized? No, I haven't been baptized. Are you a Christian? Are you a believer? Because in here, it seems to be tied so closely. Repent and be baptized, uh, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins. So if you haven't been baptized, have you not had your sins forgiven? And so from this passage, that seems to be a way that people can think and people can go down. Sam, um, we sometimes call this baptismal regeneration. Mm-hmm. Uh, is this? Uh, t- tell us the major church groups that might identify with this, that believe in some sort of baptismal regeneration. Well, the primary uh, people, at least in our part of the world, is the Church of Christ, who would uh, put a lot of stock in this text and insist that um, water baptism is essential for the final cleansing and forgiveness of one's sins. Um, There are certainly other um, professing Christian bodies that have made baptism essential, like the Roman Catholic Church uh, affirms some form of baptismal regeneration. That's a small group out there. Yeah, it's a tiny group. There's a couple of them. Uh, The Lutherans, depending on which ones you talk to, would oftentimes uh, affirm some form of baptismal regeneration. Um, So those are the primary ones. Um, It's interesting when you read this passage to to see uh, ways in which people try to get around what seems to be so clear. For example, uh, I've actually read where some say that the people to whom Peter was speaking were already saved. Uh, And therefore, what Peter is telling them is uh, you need to receive the forgiveness for your complicity in the crucifixion of Jesus. And it isn't that they are receiving forgiveness for all sins, but they are already converted and that what he is saying is you need to repent and be baptized so that you can be forgiven for your involvement in uh, the crucifixion of the Son of God. I don't think that holds up personally. And then there are those who uh, try a little bit more sophisticated answer. And they point out that in the statement, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, they try to argue that that little word for in the Greek text can actually mean because of. And they're right in this, that there are a small handful of texts where this Greek preposition can be translated because of. Uh, And so the argument is, it's because you've already been forgiven that you should then be baptized. But we have to be honest, it would be a very, very rare and exceptional use of this word uh, in, in the vast, vast majority of instances, it does mean for or with a view to. And so it leaves us with this problem of, is Peter 
suspending the forgiveness of sins on a person being baptized in water. Now, I don't think he is, but uh, that that's the situation we're facing. Which if it is, and if it is you know, very clear in Scripture, you integrate that into your theology, and you say, like, like I used to work with this girl before I went to seminary at a bank, and she was a Church of Christ, and I, and she she believed. I mean, we were just square on everything, and I, I could tell she loved Jesus, and she was very committed in so many ways. Every time this would come up, though, you know, she believed very, very firmly that baptism was absolutely necessary. And her and I, that was really the main difference, doctrinally speaking, that I could tell, but practically in the, the love that we had for the Lord. And she wasn't worried about it. She was already baptized. You know, it's not as if she's stressing and she's, she's necessarily trusting in that or working her way to salvation. And so it was just this one thing, you know, just, just one work. And so we say, okay, well, maybe there's just this one trivial thing. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it's kind of odd, I know, but but God wants us to go underwater and, and be identified in this act at the very beginning, and um, that is going to be the hinge upon which our salvation rests besides our faith. So is it faith alone that saves? Well, yes, except for there's there's one thing that you have to do. So it's it, it, technically speaking, you have it's not faith alone. It's faith plus one work. That That's kind of where you open the door and you crack open this door and you say, okay, are we going to allow for this? Is this passage clear enough for us to say we believe in salvation by faith alone plus one work? Um, or for us even to look at this and say, let's just be just in case. Just in case this is <laughs> that you do have to be baptized. Let, let's go ahead and make sure everybody's baptized to, to be sure. Well, in the Great Commission, I think you bring in this too. So there are supporting texts as well uh, where, where Jesus says, Go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, it's definitely not just in this passage as well that baptism is connected with, the, with a belief as well. Yeah, and again, uh, you raised a, you made an interesting point, Michael, when you used the word necessary. And I think we need to, uh, and I, I know I'm speaking for the two of you as well, at least I trust that I am when I say this. If somebody comes to me and says, Sam, is water baptism necessary? And I would say, yes. Now the question is necessary for what or as an expression of what? If somebody asked a, a more complete question, is water baptism necessary for me to obtain the forgiveness of sins? I would say no. But if they asked, is it necessary as an expression of obedience to the commands of Scripture and to what it means to be a Christian, I would say yes. In other words, if there's somebody listening to us who has been born again, who is a Christian by faith alone, and you haven't been baptized in water, you're sinning. So it's necessary as an expression of obedience in the same way that loving one another is necessary and um, being generous with our money to the church is necessary. It's necessary as an expression of Christian obedience. But to say it's necessary for the obtaining of forgiveness of sins, I would say no. And there, I've got several reasons why I would say that. I'll just mention them quickly. One, uh, it's interesting when you read the Gospel of John which we all agree is a evangelistic book. You know, these things I have written to you so that you might know that Jesus is the Son of God and by believing in him have eternal life. There's not one single reference to water baptism in the Gospel of John, and yet there are multiple 
several dozen explicit affirmations that salvation comes to those who believe, Mm -hmm. to those who repent and believe. And we look at belief and repentance as two sides of the same coin. And then you have, for example, um, 1 Corinthians 1.17, which I always find interesting, where Paul says, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Now, if water baptism is an essential element in the gospel message, in the sense that you must be baptized to be saved, how could Paul say that? How could Paul say he did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel? They're obviously two different elements. The gospel is wholly and completely wrapped up in what God has done for us in Christ, and it's sufficient in itself. Um, baptism is our response to it, but if baptism is necessary to salvation, I don't know how Paul could say that. Um, and then take the book of Acts itself. I would encourage somebody who's bothered by Acts 2.38, just sit down and read through the book of Acts at one sitting. And take note, just mark on a piece of paper, every time there's a reference to salvation and what is required. And you will discover that in every other case in Acts, multiple instances, it's either faith or repentance alone. No reference to baptism whatsoever. Even when it's spoken by the same person who spoke this verse as well. Precisely. Maybe Peter changed his mind. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so you have this yeah. this consistent witness on the part of Luke in recording the words of Peter and Paul and others as well that it is faith alone slash repentance alone that brings salvation. But then on the other hand, you you see another phenomenon in Acts, and that is that everyone who believes is in fact baptized. You know, this idea of an unbaptized Christian is absent from the book of Acts, absent from the New Testament. So that ought to tell us something. It tells us that there is a um, an essential relationship between genuine faith and repentance on the one hand and water baptism on the other, such that the New Testament never conceived of them as separable. You know, we have this practice today uh, developed for whatever reason that people get genuinely saved and then they wait a month, a year, five years before they're baptized in water, that was utterly unthinkable in the New Testament. That would have, It just never happened. In fact, um, many scholars believe that it was actually in the waters of baptism that faith was fully expressed, that it was in the waters of baptism that a person confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior unto salvation, and baptism was the necessary extension of their faith and repentance, not because... Forgiveness is suspended on baptism, but because forgiveness is suspended on faith, of which baptism is the external sign. Can we liken this then to, let's try to put it in today, because I I think we have a different understanding of baptism than they did then. I think that ours has become more cultic in a a different way, like kind of Christian cultic. Christians are the only ones who baptize, and most of the Christians don't even really understand what it means whenever they are baptized. You know, my my daughter's been wanting to get baptized since she was like four years old because she thought it looked like fun and it was going swimming, you know. And And so we have this kind of expression that doesn't really fit sometimes within the context but but if we if we think of it as a different thing what if somebody was what if peter was to say this repent and call upon the lord to save you okay and i think there's passages where he does say that 
Okay, is the calling necessary? Well, as the way Sam put it, just may go, well, yeah, it's necessary. Do, but does it have any efficacious value? Oh, that's what you mean. No, no, I mean, it's just going to come out. You, well, I want to become a Christian. I, I don't want to ever call or call on the Lord or pray. Is that okay? I'd be like, no. <laughs> of course it's not. Well, so so the calling and the prayer has some efficacious value. No, but it's a natural response that should always come. And that if you don't, say, pray afterwards, call upon the name of the Lord. Romans chapter 10, mm-hmm. uh, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Is that efficacious? No, it's not. You're, we're trying to read it too theologically rather than just kind of very practically. In our practical world, we would say that it's very definite that whenever you become a believer, that there are certain things that will automatically come. Now, as uh, us as Calvinists, we would say, well, regeneration produces the faith, which produces certain actions. But is there a, is there a kind of a least common denominator action? That will everybody will express. Well, I think it'd probably be some type of calling upon the name of the Lord. You know, mm-hmm. talking to the Lord, thanking the Lord. Uh, how how can I be saved? Well, just thank the Lord for dying on the cross. That doesn't save him. Okay, that that's an expression of the faith. That's an expression of what's going on in your heart. How can I be saved? Well, say this prayer with me. Well, the prayer doesn't save, but the prayer is an expression of that. Now, in this day, and and, and I'm not saying it shouldn't be today. But in this day, was baptism that common to where you can relate it to like prayer and calling upon the name of the Lord? And I hesitate to say this, but in our evangelical communities, you know, we talk about asking Jesus into your heart. And walking an aisle. Yeah. And raising a hand. Signing a card. (laughs) If you you repent and raise your hand. (laughs) Is, Is it that type of thing? Um, that is that the way that we can look at it? Oh, I think definitely. I think baptism was the way in which genuine saving faith was outwardly publicly expressed. It wasn't by walking an aisle. It wasn't by raising a hand. It wasn't by you know bowing your head, closing your eyes, and asking Jesus into your heart. Christian faith was made known and manifest in the waters of baptism. There was an inextricable connection between the two. Um, that doesn't exist anymore today. And, and getting back to your illustration, some uh, this one, granted, the analogy breaks down, but if somebody, if Tim had walked in today and um, and he had this, this incredible scowl on his face and he just looked utterly uh, angry and depressed and, uh, and I said, uh, Tim, are you filled with joy today? And he said, yeah. (laughs) And I said, really? Uh, Give me some indication that that's true. Um, There is a, there is, now granted, uh, the reason why the analogy breaks down is because I suppose somebody can genuinely be filled with the joy of the Lord and yet have a countenance that seems to say precisely the opposite. Theoretically, that's true. But, but. To say that somebody can have genuine, heartfelt joy and delight in Jesus, and they never smile, their eyes never gleam, they 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 don't show it in some outward manner, would cause us to question the legitimacy of what they are saying is inside them, and it's the same way when it comes uh, to the relationship between faith and baptism. Now, again, for today's Christian, it's hard to make the connection. In the first century, it wasn't. 
In that day and time, if somebody said, I have genuine saving faith in Jesus, and yet they refused to be baptized or had not been baptized, Paul and Luke and the others would have said, wait, wait a minute, time out. We've got a disconnect here because the way we understand it, genuine inner faith, the reality of trust in your heart in Jesus manifests itself in your willingness to publicly make that known in the waters of baptism as you identify yourself in his life, death, and resurrection. As you say, I am united with him. I am pledging myself to him to live to his glory. And so I think that intricate or intimate, inextricable connection between faith and water baptism, as we see in the pages of the New Testament, is similar to what you were talking about, the that this necessary expression outwardly of an inward reality. Um, and again, the reason why that's hard for people today to grasp is because we don't practice baptism the way they did in the first century. In the, yeah. first, in the first century, did they practice baptism outside of the Christian communities? Well, well I, I mean, I think for sure, I mean, if you go to Israel and all those places, you're going to always see that there is a washing, for sure. Like, I mean, especially in Judaism, people are, are always washing themselves before they go into the temple. And so if you're identifying yourself as washing, you know, you're not going to be like, oh, there's a pagan that doesn't love God, but they're ceremonially washing themselves. Well, and so I think that that in itself is identifying as well. Well, would the people have said, Peter, wait a minute. <laughs> I I think I know what repentance is, you know, changing my mind, changing my heart, changing my my uh, my beliefs and my my uh, uh, who who I am in the regard with regards to what you said. But I, what's this baptism thing? You know, I baptized. Yeah, well, and with John the Baptist, I mean, it seems like people just knew. As well, I mean, the, the, this didn't seem like to be a weird phenomenon that people people yeah. just knew they were going out to John and he was baptizing people uh, out of uh, that their hearts were were repentant, yeah. and so uh, you know, we definitely can see culturally at that time that this wasn't a strange happening. Yeah, and remember what John said to the Pharisees when they came seeking his baptism, and he said, "You brood of vipers!" He said, "Bring forth fruits in keeping with repentance." So, in other words, he's telling us there baptism is the expression of the legitimate inward reality of repentance. And he knew that they were hypocritical and it wasn't present in their own hearts, so that's why he spoke to them as he did. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm trying to remember, Michael, exactly what your question well, was. Well, there, there was, in the first century, I, I got a group of books. I love these books. They're uh, IVP. I think they're just called Bible Background um, dictionaries, mm-hmm. all black books, you know, Dictionary of Paul, Dictionary oh, yeah. of the Gospels, Dictionary, you can get those on Logos for pretty cheap for all of them. But the, the article on baptism was really helpful for me whenever it talked about how baptism was something that was very common in that day, not just in the Christians, but right. but to get washed. The, the whole thing is whenever you were convert, whenever you were proselytizing someone, and whenever somebody was saying, hey, I want to become a Jew, or I want to become uh, multiple things, there was this idea of cleansing of your old self, you know, this washing, and coming in fresh to the new self. And so it was something that was, they, they wouldn't have raised their hands and said, I don't really know what baptism's all about. They would have said, oh, well, you're talking about a serious commitment here. You're talking about making my, my commitment uh, something so serious that I'm going to make a public proclamation of it. 
Yeah, well, and I, I just want to play around with it for a little while first. Nobody, whenever they were doing this, they would go through this ceremony and, and convert, as it were. This was the conversion process. Mm-hmm. And so what he's really doing is saying, this is serious. You know, It's not something just to kind of consider. It's something that you have to wash away your old self. You, you've got to come in clean to this new self, and being baptized showed the seriousness of your belief. Well, and I, yeah, and I think that it is reflecting the seriousness of what's happening on the inside too. That you're saying, I used to be the king of my mountain. I used to be 100 percent in control. Life was all about me. Now life is all about Christ. I have removed me as the center of my life. Christ is now there. Um, I used to live for myself. Now I live for him. And as Sam was talking about earlier, I think John fourteen fifteen is perfect on that too. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And so with this idea of if, if someone, I would never say that your, your baptism saves you because that's ridiculous because you're not replacing you as a center of your life with baptism. You're replacing you as the center of your life with Christ. And now with Christ as your center of your life, you're saying, do whatever you want to do in my life. Have your way in my life. What you say, I will do. If you say jump, I say how high. And he says, I want you to be baptized. And if you say, no, I'm not going to be baptized, what I'm wondering is, if Christ is the center of your life, you love him. He has forever set you free from the sin. He has said, take my yoke and you'll find rest from your souls. And he says, I would love for you to be baptized and you resist that, I would question, why are you resisting that? Now, I know a lady, when I was pastoring in Portland, she almost drowned in a pool when she was a kid, so she's deathly afraid of water, and uh, she's deathly afraid of being in front of people. So baptism confronts her two greatest fears in life, is being in front of people and being held underwater by someone else. And uh, you know, we had to get to the point where we basically say, you know, this is part of you just letting go of that. And I, I had to promise I wouldn't let her underwater for very long, though. You know, But for her, it was a huge step of saying, I need to trust my Savior because he is the center of my life now, and he knows what's best for me, and he has only asked this one thing for me to do. And uh, and what that would be the question is, if he is truly now the center of your life, uh, you should delight in doing what he says. And I think there, there's another reason that I've come across on multiple occasions why Christians today who are genuinely born again are not baptized, contrary to the New Testament pattern. And it's because they have a, a misconception of what it means. They think, because they, they actually said it to me, I was just shocked by this, because these were actually what I thought were mature believers who say, well, I know I'm still a sinner, and I know that... Um, that I'm, I'm probably going to fall in some capacity next week. I'm going to be envious or I'm going to feel uh, materialistic impulses or I'm going to say a, a cuss word. And I, I, I've always understood that baptism means I can't ever sin again. And yet I know I'm going to sin again, and I don't want to be a hypocrite. So I'm putting it off until I feel like I've reached this place of perfection in my life where I can have confidence that I'm never going to stumble I said, no. I'd never be baptized. Yeah, well, who would? (laughs) That's why so many people put it off. They think that um, they they look at their own life and they say, I'm I'm just not living the kind of life that I know God wants me to live. Therefore, I'm going to wait until I've attained to that level of maturity, and then I'll be baptized. And again, they have a, a serious misunderstanding of the nature of the Christian life. But it's amazing how many people put it off because they fear that to go public in water baptism, confessing their faith, that if they later stumble, which they are confident that they will, that means they're hypocritical. Mm. 
And I say, no, that's not, that's not what is going on here. But that's one of the excuses they give for, for delaying baptism so long. We've talked about baptism being um, uh, a part of the Christian confession, commitment, uh, really, we want it to come from the heart. We don't want it to come from something that looks like a fun swimming time, you know, as a kid. And we, it's part of this this very real, visible thing that you do in your life to publicly show people that I am committed to Christ. Now, Sam, you're you're pastor. Both Tim and I uh, were pastors for a long time, but you're dealing with us all of the time. What do you do with people who? Have because we've got let's say we've got about <laughs> probably eighty percent of Christianity that has already been baptized as kids or as uh, on the seventh day mm-hmm. I think it is seventh day is that right uh, whenever you get baptized as uh, an infant they're already doing this and they're saying do I do I need to be baptized again I was, I was baptized as an infant or I was mm-hmm. baptized whenever I was. 10 years old, but sure. I have become committed to Christ since then. Mm-hmm. Are, are you guys saying that it's that serious that I need to consider this again? I, I would. I mean, because I think in Acts it's saying repent and be baptized. I mean, the order seems to be belief then baptism. And, you know, I wouldn't dog the parents of those people. I think they were probably doing what they thought was best. And dedi- I mean, now today we dedicate kids to the Lord and then we wait until they're believers to be baptized. But uh, you know, there is a fine line if you're like, well, I believed I was in this other denomination that believes differently. I got baptized in that denomination. I mean, that, it can get a little messy. You don't want someone to be baptized five different times, but uh, you do want, I, I think you do want to say, you know, if you've come to a point in your life where you now are genuinely a believer in Christ, uh, you have replaced yourself as with Jesus as the king of your life, you're believing in him for salvation, then uh, the next step is baptism. Yeah, I agree. And I think we haven't talked about this, but I'm assuming all three of us are what we call credo Baptists. In other words, we believe that baptism follows personal faith rather than being paedo Baptists. And again, um, some of you listening are probably going to take offense at this, and you can email Michael and take it out (laughs) on him. Uh, But uh, I I would not call what an infant is uh, subjected to Christian baptism because I think the definition of Christian baptism is is that it is the experience of a believer in submitting to um, immersion in water in the name of Jesus. So I think that, for example, Presbyterians and Methodists and Lutherans and others, uh, my wife was raised Episcopalian. She was, quote-unquote, baptized as an infant. And I told her when we got married and we talked about it, no, you weren't. You went through a, a religious ritual that involved water that those people thought was Christian baptism. But if Christian baptism always follows faith, then you haven't yet experienced it. So I would say to those who um, were brought to the font, as it were, as an infant, and were sprinkled, that uh, your parents meant well, not impugning anybody's character or motivation. That was their theological belief. That's what they understood the ritual to be. But my understanding is that wasn't Christian baptism. Christian baptism only happens in uh, the case of someone who's truly been born again and put their faith in Jesus. So, yes, I think they should, if they have not been baptized as a believer, 
most definitely should come and seek that. And, and Tim does say it gets really messy, and I don't want to prolong this very much, but I do want to ask you guys this question as well, because we've got a lot of people that may be listening to this that uh, because it's about does baptism save or what is what is the value of baptism, and uh, maybe a lot of people are listening to this who say, okay, I see your point now. Baptism uh, is not part of my salvation, but I did get baptized in order to... At that time, I thought to be saved, it was part of the requirements. Now, are you guys saying, I need to do it again? At that point, I know it gets really messy, but that this is a very clear line. I thought it had efficacious value. It didn't. Should I do it again? That's a tough one. Um, I think my inclination is to say no. I would say if you were, tr- if you're confident that you were truly born again, and you had already genuinely come to faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, even though you might have had a skewed view of what baptism uh, meant, uh, you were legitimately and genuinely baptized in water, and therefore you need not be baptized again. Now, I emphasize need not. So I would uh, try to dissuade people from seeking it yet again. However, if someone was just relentless and said, no, I had such a distorted view of baptism that it just, I was sending the wrong message to the people who were present. And I want to make it very clear in my relationship with God and to the people around me that uh, I'm trusting in the blood of the cross alone and not the waters in the font. Um, I would say, well, I I might be open to uh, letting them be baptized a second time. But let's admit we don't have any biblical precedent for that. You know, I can't give you a text that ever shows that anybody ever was "quote unquote" baptized twice. Yeah. Um, so, so that is a little problematic. But that's a that's a difficult question. Yeah. Yeah, I'd agree with that too. And I think you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't be tough on someone who's just really wanting to obey the the Savior that they love. You know, I, I was baptized twice. Yeah. I was baptized at twelve, and I, I really felt like it was just a fun experience. I wanted to play in the waters and. Saw people do it. Were you? Are you convinced you were born again when you were baptized? Um, yes, I think I was, but I had no idea what that meant. What yeah. I was doing. So I then mean, the question—it was, was a ritual for me, right? Well, in that case, I would be slightly more open to you being baptized again. Yeah. Uh, but again, we have to acknowledge we don't have a biblical precedent for this. Let me just say one other thing. I know we're coming to the end, and I'm going to come back just to the Acts two thirty eight to clarify for our listeners something very important. What kind of sum up what at least. I understand Peter to be saying, um, I believe water baptism visibly and publicly proclaims everything that faith invisibly and privately achieves. And therefore, forgiveness in this passage is promised to whoever is baptized, not because baptism secures forgiveness, but because baptism signifies faith. That's the key to to reading this passage. The, The key connection... <clears throat> excuse me, is not between baptism and forgiveness, but between faith and baptism. Or excuse yeah, faith, baptism, always the external expression of the inward reality of faith. That's why Peter can say, if you get baptized, you're forgiven, not because baptism secures forgiveness, but because baptism expresses faith. Mm-hmm. That's the key that we need to keep in mind. 
Well, I guess we can leave here uh, still holding on to sola fide, even though we have some of uh, these difficult passages. Salvation is by faith alone, not by anything we do, but there are certain expressions that do naturally follow uh, from our faith, and baptism should be one of them. Um, not sure what we're going to be talking about next week, but uh, we uh, are going to be dealing with another difficult passage. It's great to have you guys each week. Please uh, please uh, go to the iTunes store and fill out, tell us what you think of the broadcast. It's always encouraging. Every time I, I see one of those, I send it to the guys and uh, uh, get the encouragement from you all. And uh, we'd love to have your feedback. We'll, we'll continue this discussion next week. You've been listening to Theology Unplugged. Visit our iTunes page by searching Theology Unplugged at the iTunes store. All episodes are available as free downloads. Theology Unplugged is made possible by Reclaiming the Mind Ministries. Reclaiming the Mind Ministries is a listener-supported ministry. If you've enjoyed this session or benefited from it in any way, do consider partnering with us. For information on how to become a ministry partner and for a complete listing of ministry resources, visit the RMM homepage at www.reclaimingthemind.org. Thank you for listening, and God bless.